You're listening to the Growth Exponential Podcast. I'm your host, Bradley Karo-Cook. Today, we're joined by Mohan Sivalaganathan, who is the CEO of Students for Education Reform, whose mission is to activate the power of students to advance educational justice through organizing, leadership development, and culture shifting. Mohan, welcome. Thank you so much. Honored to be here. It's great to have you here. I mean, anytime there's a CEO of an organization that's empowering students across the country, I'm like, I have to have this person on and learn more about them and what they do. At a high level, can you share with us about your organization? Yeah, for sure. Thanks to everybody who's tuning in also. You know, I think the best way to be able to describe our work is actually to talk about a story of one of our students who actually works with us. I was actually just at East LA College or East Los Angeles College just last week sitting down with some of our staff and some of our student members and to tell just quickly one of the stories that I heard during that trip. You know, I think if you were to just walk by that table where we were sitting outside in LA and it was a beautiful day and, you know, having some coffee, you might think, hey, you know, this is a typical college scene with students who are working towards whatever degree happens to be their passion. Isn't it so great that they happen to make it to this moment in their life? But really, you had to unpack that a whole lot more. So one of the students in particular who I was talking with, she told me this incredible story of her grandparents immigrating to the country from Mexico, who had this strong, powerful belief in work ethic and in education, which then wasn't passed down to her parents. Her parents, who then were, uh, who actually went to school in um, LA Unified School District, who underwent or experienced uh, just a remarkable level of inequity in schools even at that time, and you know had to be able to fight to be able to get access to the best resources, uh, to be able to prevent from falling back in terms of academic growth and academic attainment. And then now fast forward to this student who I was sitting across uh, the table uh, from who is now in college. And you might look at her story and think, hey, isn't it just so great that you were able to make it, that you were just able to work hard, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. And I think that's a story that we hear in society quite often. But then even you hear her story, and then as she starts talking about the experience of her grandparents and then her parents and then for herself, it wasn't just like an easy path that she was just able to stroll down and everything was just handed to her and then she had the silver spoon and then she just made it. But she had to deal with schools that lacked cultural sensitivity. She had to deal with situations where she felt like she was oftentimes isolated because of her background, because of her culture, because of her beliefs. And felt like she was disenfranchised as a part of that process. Now, yes, she was able to make it to college now, but then this experience from multiple generations, it armed her with this incredible background, this incredible authenticity of what she has lived through, what she has seen, and knowing what the American dream is supposed to look like, and the reality that it is actually a fiction for far too many people. And that gives her this sense of both audacity and passion, and also humility and compassion for other people and knowing that some of the privileges that she was able to fortunately take advantage of throughout the course of her life, those are opportunities uh, that are not always available to other people. And that emboldened her and she needed to figure out a way to be able to channel that energy, that fire towards being able to support other people with similar backgrounds to herself so that they wouldn't have to undergo the same feelings of isolation, like their voice didn't matter like their futures didn't matter, which is something that her grandparents had to experience and that her parents experienced and that she experienced herself. And then you bring that story towards students for education reform and, and learning about our work and in particular, the opportunity to be involved in organizing campaigns so that she could be able to activate her voice and channel her unique experience 
towards this fight for educational equity. And that came really together in this pretty remarkable moment just a couple of weeks ago where the uh, the district was looking at potentially shielding parents and students from school performance data, which if you are a, a student or a family member, you know that you need to know just how schools are doing. You want to know how students are doing. You know, that is just a basic right to understand just what is the performance of the education system. But for some reason, adults and people in power decided that actually you don't need to have access to that information. And so for this student, along with many others who are involved in students for education reform, they deemed that completely unacceptable. But they weren't going to sit back on their hands. They actually engaged in training. They built up their skills and their capabilities to understand what it would take to be able to actually reversed this policy. And then it, that led to a school board meeting where they had to wait nearly 12 hours in order to finally get on the mic and to be able to share their story. And this student in particular, who I'm talking about, someone who, as I noted, had this remarkable blend of compassion and audacity, all that fire, all that passion that had been building up, she was able to release it in that moment, but also in a remarkably eloquent way. And she spoke truth to power. And she talked about the injustice of hiding data of not allowing transparency in the space of education and how that would essentially perpetuate disenfranchisement in particular of students of color of those of low socioeconomic status indigenous people of first generation students and that is something that is an absolute travesty and has been happening for generations and that would not be permissible on her watch or on the watch of other students like her and in a remarkable change of fate they were able to convince the school board to agree to releasing that school performance data which is something that several weeks before, a couple months before, people may not have even thought was going to be possible. But because students voiced up, because they channeled their authentic lived experiences, they were able to enact this remarkable policy change and show what is possible while also driving greater proximity to their experiences. So if you take that type of story, that type of campaign win, you might call it, and then look to multiply that across the country, across multiple cities from coast to coast, and doing that in a way that catalyzes a movement of the change makers of now and tomorrow, being the young people who are at the center of the education system, that is what we look to do as students for education reform. That's fascinating. And I love how each of those pieces is so important in both the everyday life of the students that you're impacting, and it also impacts the future for students. I'm super curious. Please share with me, how did you get into this role? This work is personal for me. I have uh, a soon-to-be 11-month-old at home, you know, so coming up on his first birthday, my wife and I have actually been talking about going to Cape Canaveral in Florida. And the reason why, in addition to my parents living down in Florida, you know, since he was maybe just a couple weeks old, we always had fun just sort of flying him around the home and calling him Space Baby. The reason why I bring that up is like, it's sort of like this full circle moment for us, this full circle experience. Because if you go back to my parents, who are immigrants to the country from Sri Lanka, one of the big things that inspired them to come to the country was being across the world, but looking at the newspaper and hearing about the space missions in the United States and hearing about this remarkable story of ingenuity and innovation and possibility, and, and which really is all captured within this idea of the American dream. And they said, hey, we want to be a part of that. And they came to the U.S. and went to Minnesota, did what immigrants do, which is basically you want after every opportunity that you could possibly find. So they went to Alaska, went to New York. That's where both of my sisters were born. I was born in Minnesota. We went to Atlanta. We went to Washington State. And they were able to really make something of themselves. And they did it through service. My dad worked for the Department of State. My mom was a teacher. And they were able to rise in the ranks in their respective careers. My dad becoming a U.S. diplomat to India and to Ghana. My mom is this incredibly decorated, highly awarded teacher who has taught in some of the toughest schools across the country and also internationally. 
you know, that put me on this path, I think in many ways to actually just stay in my lane and do what I'm supposed to do, right? Because these opportunities were not provided to me as a son of immigrants. So therefore just, you know, work hard, do your thing. And I think that's what immigrants and the children of immigrants and, and people of color are told so often, just stay in your lane. And that's what I did initially. You know, I majored in electrical engineering, jumped into the corporate sector, essentially was doing what I was supposed to do. But that whole time I was learning more and more about the opportunity gap in the country. I was learning about the academic achievement gap. I was learning about the vast array of systemic inequities and injustices that were created by people and institutions. And that is what was holding people back, not just because this broken idea that they just weren't working hard enough. And so similar to some of the students that, that we work with the Students for Education Reform, it became just so clear to me, hey, this is what the American dream is supposed to look like. Here's what the education system is supposed to look like. And now look at this contrast and this dichotomy because the reality is that the American dream does not exist in the way that it's supposed to. The promise of an education system, educating every student to maximize their potential, that is not a reality. That is pure fiction. And honestly, that has infuriated me. And I want to find a way to channel the capability that I'd been able to develop as a young person at that point and my growing voice and growing sense of identity towards this fight for social impact. And I volunteered as much as I could. I did pro bono work. I did that within the corporate space. And every time I did that, it told me, you know what? Like, this is actually what I should be doing full time. Like, this is the stuff that wakes me up on Monday morning. This is the stuff that still has my mind running, you know, on Friday night. And that was invigorating to me and finally came to this crossroads moment where I could accept this uh, pretty awesome job opportunity in, in the corporate space where I was working or actually join uh, Teach for America as a marketing director and become a part of the fight for educational equity. And it, the choice was very clear to me. The fight for educational equity, that is the most urgent need that I could be addressing right now. That is where I could make the greatest difference. You know, I jumped into that space and haven't looked back. And now in the past decade plus, I've worked in a lot of different cause areas, you know, from education to justice reform to mental health, community violence prevention, and many other areas of, of work in disenfranchised communities. And I think the common thread for me has just been trying to find ways to activate people of all backgrounds to be able to use their voice and action to shake up the status quo and, you know, to be able to find ways to connect them with causes that really need their capability and need their support. So I just think I'm just kind of like a bridge, honestly, and I've been just incredibly fortunate to be able to land here at Students for Education Reform, where I am one of many people who are working to spark this movement of young people who have remarkable backgrounds, remarkable passion and belief in what we can create. And this is absolutely a train that all of us need to hop on or otherwise we're going to be run over by it. I'm happy to, to be there, just sort of like adding fuel to the fire and, and supporting what so many of our incredible student leaders are doing across the country. Wow, that is great. What an inspiring journey that you've come on and what passion it's involved. I know that you've written a vision plan for 2020. Can you tell us a little bit about that and the purpose of it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think when you look at this space of youth leadership and youth change making, and then also just education as a whole, you know, there are just some incredible factors that are coming together right now that actually give us an incredible sense of optimism. Uh, I think that there are a lot of folks who look at the political landscape, for instance, and it makes them cynical. For me, when I look at what young people are doing right now in growing some of the most powerful social movements of our time and seeing the incredible things that they're doing, like that story I shared from out in L.A. or, you know, some of the work that we've seen our students drive in North Carolina to reform the credit recovery program, to be able to drive greater clarity around racial equity in Minnesota, the greater scaling of mental health supports in Denver. I, I know what young people are capable of doing, and I cannot be convinced that they cannot 
drive the most powerful transformative change that is necessary. They absolutely can do that and they will do it. And just given these massive changes that have happened in the education space, a space that honestly has become more toxic and polarized than ever, it requires a fundamental shift in the way that we operate. And with that, as over the span of the past few months, as we've been talking to our student members, our staff, our donors, our partners uh, from coast to coast, what's become clear to us is that it's time for a new set of bets on the future. Um, and a bet inherently is not something that is guaranteed, but it can have a remarkable payoff if the universe is able to conspire in the right way. With that, bets that we have in mind, number one, we need to invest in young people as the change makers of now and tomorrow. And it's just interesting to see how, you know, so many places are still just catching up to this idea that we need to invest in young people. And oftentimes it's an afterthought, even though like we know that young people have authentic lived experiences, they have remarkable capability. Um, and they are the ones who are going to be, you know, taking the reins from, from people like me for, you know, for decades from now. So we need to support them. We need to give them the tools and the spaces that they need in order to be effective. And I think second, another bet that we need to make is that we absolutely have to create more spaces where we truly respect and acknowledge the decision-making authority and power of, of young people. You know, I was talking about that example in LA of students having to wait nearly 12 hours in order to be able to share their perspective. And this was after a decision was practically already made. That is simply just not the way that decisions should be made anywhere, especially in the case of education where the system should be by and for students. So we need to create more spaces where students are there at the table with true influence and true power, not there because it, it's a nice photo op or because you can say you had student engagement, but you didn't actually ask them what they care about or what they believe in and what they're fighting for. Let's ask them from the beginning and then follow their lead. And then last but not least, you know, some of those examples I was talking about of what we've been able to fight for at Students for Education Reform and some of those different issues, they're not partisan. They're frankly just not partisan. There is no reason why mental health should be a wedge or divisive issue or higher uh, standards for graduation so that students, uh, in particular students of color and first-generation students, are ready to succeed in college or any of the other campaigns that students are fighting for you know, from west to east coast. The third bet on the future is that education can be a rare transcendent space beyond polarization and toxic dialogue. It can be a place where we can build bigger tents, where we can bring together people of all backgrounds so that we can finally create an education system that is just, that ensures that every single student can maximize their potential. So those are things that we believe need to be created, that need to be true um, in the ecosystem, in the landscape, for us to then actually go out and drive the right programs, the right initiatives. And, you know, organizationally, we have a number of ideas that we're working on now, a number of pilots that we're incredibly excited about. But they all stem from those big bets that we're making on the future. And, you know, we're excited to be able to share them with more and more people. And, you know, hopefully more folks can jump in with us. And like I said, you know, you know, hop on board on that train because really it's, it's gaining steam. You know, we're trying to get home and it's too late. That's amazing. You're doing so much good work for so many people. Tell us, how can our listeners help you accomplish your mission? Well, you know, I appreciate that question. Uh, one of the big things that I would point out right now at, at a broad level, a broad national level, kind of pointing to that idea of education needing to be this transcendent space um, is we really need to work on culture. We have to do something around this, this aspect of hearts and minds because everything that I'm sharing here, I think when we are able to have conversations with people and talk about what students of color and first generation students um, have been facing for so long, 
when they get proximity to those issues, they're with us. You know, people don't argue, they don't debate, but, but the challenge is that we haven't been able to reach enough hearts and minds with those messages because, uh, again, you know, you have those people who have been holding power for far too long, who in many cases have thrived from that division. But we need to be able to break past that. And, you know, one of the things that we're actually looking at for this coming year is launching a pretty significant national effort to be able to move culture in a positive way. Uh, in a positive way, in an inspirational way, in a manner that brings people together that is not antagonistic, but fundamentally changes the conversation around education and specifically educational equity and justice. And so with that, anyone who might be interested in partnering with us on that effort, whether you're an organization that's out there doing work that might be similar to us and activating young people or fighting in the space of educational justice or social justice as a whole, if you're a funder who wants to be a part of a coalition to be able to bring this to life, and I'm very pleased to share that we do have island investment to be able to make this happen. Or if you're a student, like, hey, like, I want to be able to get my voice out there. I'm energized. I'm activated. Like, let's go out and get this done. Uh, please do reach out. You can go to our website, which is studentsforedreform.org. You can email me at Mohan at studentsforedreform.org, uh, and we'd love to talk. That's great. And I just want to thank you so much for being here today and wish you tremendous success in all of your worthy endeavors. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. Thank you for, for fighting the good fight and for uh, you know working to spread more stories of social impact and innovation. We really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Growth Exponential Podcast. If you know an executive director or nonprofit professional that you think I should interview, shoot me an email at bradley at growthexponential.org.